You know, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> the title of my message is Winning the Race of Your Life. Winning the Race of Your Life. 1 Corinthians 9. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Caleb, uh, one of the leaders here in Foundation. Um, I, as always, I am so thankful for Foundation. I'm always thankful for the opportunity to preach. Um, I, I love this group. I'm very thankful to serve here. Um, it's a great opportunity. First Corinthians 9, winning the race of your life. And as you know, if you've been here the past three weeks, our shepherd has talked about the Apostle Paul. Uh, we went through a biography, if you will, of arguably the one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. And I want to turn back the calendar to the year A.D. 53 once again this week. Uh, we are traveling with the Apostle Paul from the city of Corinth, uh, the most splendid city of ancient Greece, uh, across the Isthmus, the, the narrow strip of land that, that joins southern Greece with the mainland. We are en route to the, the famous Isthmian Games, second importance only to the Olympics. It is here on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea near Corinth that the Isthmian Games are held. Uh, these athletic games are a major event, and they are hosted every two years. And as we arrive at the stadium, several sights attract our attention. Uh, we are immediately impressed with the massive throngs of people who are gathering from all corners of the Roman Empire. Uh, thousands are descending upon Isthmus to, to witness this spectacle, to witness this race. Uh, we notice the enormous sports coliseum with its precisely cut marble blocks. Uh, we are struck by its perfectly constructed rows. And once we get inside, we see that the emperor's velvet box is, is filled with the political dignitaries of the day. Uh, these games are the place for the rich and the famous to be seen. Uh, we are inspired by the beautifully manicured track and field nestled in the center of the stadium. And on the center, on the cinders, the sides, we see assembled the finest physical specimens of the known world. Uh, they are the most popular figures of their day. Uh, these athletes are the subjects of poets. Uh, they're chiseled in marble. They are painted on a canvas. Uh, these, the statues of past champions, they line the entrance leading to the stadium. It is the dream of every young boy to become one of these athletic gods. And down on the field, we, we focus upon one single athlete, a solitary runner, he is trained for 10 months under severe discipline and a strict diet. He has spent the last month here in Corinth working out under the personal supervision of an official. It has been verified that he is trained according to the rules. This runner jogs to the far end of the track and he dips his hands in a bucket of blood and he swears that he is submitted by the rules. He swears that he will commit to the rules and he, he agrees to compete according to the rules that have been set. And this determined runner, he comes to the starting line where other competitors are waiting. Every muscle within him is stretched out. 
Every nerve is tense. His mind is focused on one thing, and that is winning. That's the sole focus of his mind is winning. And across the infield is the finish line. Uh, There, a ladder-like pedestal is strategically positioned, and on it hangs the most sought-after prize in all of the Roman Empire, the victor's crown. Uh, This highly sought prize, the Stephanos, will be awarded to the winner of this foot race. It is for this crown that these athletes have diligently trained for months, even for years. It is for this crown that they have pushed and they have punished their bodies to the limits. And only one runner will win this prize. Only one runner will win this crown and nothing can be held back to secure it. Again, we go back inside the stadium. We, we feel the electricity in the air. That The atmosphere is crackling with excitement. Uh, the buzz in the crowd is highly charged. And in the center of the field is a solitary object that leaves an, a mark on every Christian who enters this stadium. To the side of the track near the finish line is a wooden platform. And this elevated stand is rectangular. And it's, it's mounted by a series of steps. And upon this platform rests a seat, rests a seat. And upon this seat, this chair, sits the umpire who, who judges uh, the games. This seat is called in the Greek language, the bema. It is to this bema that every athlete must report after he runs his race. They were back at the starting line. The, the runners take their mark. With the start of the race, the world's fastest athletes, they explode out of the starting blocks. They resemble thoroughbred horses coming out of the gate. As the race unfolds, it looks to be dead even as as the runners head down to the stretch, as they head down this track. They come around the final turn and they, they sprint for the finish line. And a mere hundred yards lay between them and glory. Two runners push to the finish, neck and neck. Uh, The finish is too close to the call. The crowd is silent. They're in suspense. Who won this race? Every eye strains and they focus upon the bema, awaiting the judge's decision. Which runner will be awarded the winner's wreath? The umpire's call will be the final call. And as athletes approach the judges' stand, we we feel the sting of regret as the umpire disqualifies an undisciplined runner who violated the rules. We feel remorse as the judge passes over the other runners who lost the race. From these athletes, the judge withholds the cherished prize. But we are going to be thrilled by the vivid spectacle as the judge of the games takes the wreath of leaves and he calls out, the winner's names. And when he does, that athlete steps forwards. He stands before the bema. The judge takes the wreath and he crowns the new victorious champion. And with this recognition, the, the stadium explodes with excitement. This is our new victor. This is our new champion. And the crowd starts chanting his name. The, the applause is booming. And this one moment of glory, this one moment makes all the countless months and years of training worthwhile. And the new champion circles the track in a customary victory lap. He proudly holds aloft the cherished victor's crown for all to see. It is with this backdrop, this background, the apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Read it with me. Do you not know, says the Apostle Paul, do you not know 
that those who run in our race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in a way, such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. These verses drip with the sweat of athletes competing in the Isthmian games. We hear the grunts. We hear the groans of athletes pressing to the finish line. And all of this is picturing the Christian life. Every single thing that we just heard pictures your life, oh Christian. It pictures your life. And let me tell you, if you recognize it or not, God is calling each and every one of you to be winners, not losers. He has called you to win. He's called you to win the race that he has put you in, not to lose it. And God has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. And he has called you to win it, to win it. He puts you in a race to win and he wants you to win. He puts you in a race to win. He puts you there for a purpose for your life and he calls you to win. So let me ask you, how are you doing? How is your Christian life right now? Where do you stand at this moment? Are you running the race that God has put you in so that you can win? Are you disciplining yourself for godliness? Are you, are you in denial for things that are good for you, but are bad for your life? Where are you with God? God has called you to win the only race that matters, the only competition that matters, and that is the race of your life. He saved you, and he's put you in his race for you specifically. So I ask you again, how's it going? Where do you stand at this moment? How are you living? We've heard, as you said earlier, these past three weeks about Paul, the mercenary, Paul, the missionary, and Paul, the martyr. We've heard about how Paul was sold out for Jesus Christ. We have heard how Paul really risked, risked everything to get the gospel to other people. We have heard how Paul gave his life for the gospel. Paul was sold out to the Savior that saved him. That's what we have talked about the past three weeks. He gave his life for it. And tonight, I want to carry that. I just want to just piggyback on those three sermons that we've heard from our shepherd by exhorting you to live the Christian life. Paul won his race. Paul's in heaven now with Jesus. It's safe to say that he lived his life and he won. But God has called you and he's called me to live our race at this time in history, at this moment in history. So I want to exhort you tonight. I want to urge you. I want to motivate you to set your eyes on Jesus and not have any distractions. 
I want to urge you to win the race of your life because God put you in it. That's my goal tonight and my prayer tonight. So the question tonight is, as we walk through this text, the question that I have before us is this, what does it take to win the race of your life? That's the question we'll answer, hopefully. What does it take to win the race of your life? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, I don't have a PowerPoint, so you have to just focus for a little bit. If you're taking notes, the first thing is this, dedication, dedication. It's not good enough to merely show up for the race. It's not good enough just to be in the race. It's not good enough just to finish the race. You've got to win the race, and that requires total dedication, total commitment. Nobody wins with half commitment. You have to be all in. Look what Paul says in verse 24. Do you not know? In other words, everyone knows this. This is not new. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Uh, Depending on the event that's that's taking place, there could be any numbers of, of runners in a race. If it's a short sprint, there could be only six or seven runners. If it's a big marathon, there may be thousand enters entered at this race. But regardless of the number of runners, there can be only one winner. There's only one that receives the prize. There's only one winner. And that's the way it is in all sports, is it not? Uh, think about the Olympics. There's only one gold medal. Think about the Masters Golf Tournament. There's only one green jacket. Think about the NCAA football. There's only one Heisman Trophy. Think about the World Series. There's only one champion. There's only one winner. And Paul says this, run in such a way that you may what? Talk to me, that you may what? Win, that you may win. Again, it's not good enough for you just to show up for the race. It's not good enough for you just to be in the race. It's not good enough just for you to finish. Paul calls you to win. He calls you to win. He's saying in order to win, you've got to be driven to win. You've got to be motivated to win. You must be committed to win. You must be dedicated to win. You can't settle for second place. You can't settle for second best. You must be dedicated to win. Think about this. Who would train all that time? Who would run so far, push themselves so hard and be content to only go home empty-handed? Who would do that? You would be a fool to do that. You want to win. You train and you work so hard to win. That's the whole point of the competition, to win. Vince Lombardi, he's the he's a famous football coach, the actual Super Bowl trophy if you don't know, it's called the Lombardi Trophy. They named it after him because he won so many Super Bowls. He said this, I just love it. He said this, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. And it's the same in the Christian life. It's not enough to just show up for church. It's not enough just to be in church. It's not enough just to finish church. Your life, your Christian life is more than Sunday morning and Sunday night. It's a 24 hour, seven days a week. It's more than just Sunday. It's way more than that. You've got to win the prize at the end of the race, not just get by. Every maturing Christian is deeply dedicated to Christ. 
Every maturing Christian is fiercely competitive to be who God wants them to be. Every maturing Christian has a burning fire within them to race, to run the race that God has for them and win it. And every maturing Christian has the will to win and is totally dedicated to do so. That's what every Christian does. That's who they are. They want to be sold out for God because he saved them. That's what we do. So let me ask you this, Christian. Are you committed? Are you dedicated to the God who made you, uh, transformed you from an enemy to be a part of his family? He made you an enemy to a son or a daughter. Are you dedicated to him? Are you giving your life to him? Are you sold out to him? Or are you just getting by? Are you just showing up, going through the motions? Don't care about anything. You're getting distracted. Are you dedicated to your Savior, O Christian? Examine yourself. It's not just showing up, set up tables or to serve or do all these things. It's more than that. It's giving every fiber and every ounce of your being 24-7 to God. Are you dedicated? Are you dedicated? Too many people are sold out in the world. Too many people are sold out in their careers but they are strongly passive in the Christian life. In their careers, they are dynamic. They are energized. They are motivated. They are trained. They are equipped. They're just sold out, but not at church, not at their Christian life. They come lifeless. They come lifeless. And let me tell you that that same drive that it takes to excel in your work or in athletics, that same drive, that same dedication is required to win the Christian life. It's required to win the race God has for you. Every Christian can be a winner. Listen to me. Every one of you in this room can be a winner because unlike athletics, where there can be only one champion, we all win God's race. We all win God's race. That's because we don't compete against each other. We don't compete against each other. We compete against ourselves and the track and the obstacles. We can all win. You can win God's race for your life. You can win. In fact, I'll have a better chance of winning if you're winning because that would motivate me and push me and urge me to keep going. That's what the body is for. You can win God's race for your life. Are you dedicated? Or are you passive in your Christian life? So what does it take to win God's race for your life? Dedication. And I ask you one more time, are you dedicated to the God who saved you? to the God that transformed your evil, wicked, sinful heart and gave you a heart of flesh and opened your eyes up to his beautiful son? Are you dedicated to that? And this is Paul's exhortation to every one of us. Run to win the prize. 
We must press. We must pursue. We must persevere because God has called every one of us to be winners. So we must have dedication. So what else does it take to to win the race of your life? First, we saw dedication. Second, if you're taking notes, discipline, discipline. And once you've decided and determined that, that you want to win, then you must be willing to pay the price through personal training. Uh, you must be willing to pay the price. And no one just wakes up one morning and decides, you know, I'll think I'll run a marathon. Yeah, I mean, you must be insane to do that. And uh, no one just wakes up in the morning and say, hey, you know what? Today, I think I'll play for the Atlanta Braves. And no one that wakes up in the morning is like, you know what? I think I'll play for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, actually, that's actually probably true. They're not real good. They, they need some help. Yeah, that's shots fired. But you see the point. To run in the Olympics, to, to play Major League Baseball or NFL or any other competitive sports, the result is years and years of strict chain training, getting in shape, skill development. You've got to pay the price and work out to get in shape. It's that quote that my high school football coach always said, no pain, no gain. You've got to pay the price. You've got to go through the pain. It requires, it requires discipline. Bobby Knight, uh, one of the best, arguably one of the best college basketball coaches, he said this, the will to win is not nearly so important as the will to prepare to win. Uh, let me tell you, if you do not discipline yourself spiritually for God's race for your life, when you meet the devil, when you meet temptation, he will win. He will win if you do not discipline, discipline yourself right now. You must discipline yourself. Paul says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. Self-control, that word for self-control, it's a, it's a great word. The NIV, it translates it this way. It says strict training, strict training. And the idea is discipline, working out, getting the fat out, uh, getting in shape. Uh, that word means strength within, and it, it carries the idea of mastering oneself instead of being lazy. It's the strength within of personal fortitude and, and drive to, to submit to the grueling training program to get in shape. A reminder of just the background, any athlete who entered the Isthmian Games, they took an oath to, to train for 10 months according to a strict program. It, it meant long hours, strong diet, rising early to run, pumping weights, abstaining from certain indulgences. And the last month, they spent their, their whole time in Corinth right there for the games with supervised daily workouts in the gym and, and on the field. All of this just to run one race. They did this just to run one race. And what Paul is saying is this must be true in the Christian life. But it's sad to say that these athletes disciplined, who had self-control and discipline is rebuked to half-hearted Christians. It's a rebuke to the ones who are lazy in their spiritual life, who do, do almost nothing to prepare themselves to win. Too many Christians are spiritual couch potatoes. Too many Christians are fat and flabby and fleshly. Too many Christians are gospel blimps. Too many Christians are professional spectators. 
friend, it will cost you to be God's champion. It will cost you to be God's champion. The price is never marked down. Entrance into the kingdom of God is free. Amen? It's free. It was paid on Calvary. It's free. But the annual fees will cost you your life. The annual fees will cost you everything. It will cost you blood, sweat, and tears. It will cost you every ounce of your being. You must be disciplined. First Timothy 4, 7 says this. Paul says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Exercise, train, work out for the purpose of godliness. This is something that I must do. No one else can do this for me. This is something that each of you must do. No one can do this for you. This is something only you can do. You and you alone are the only, are the only person who can discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. No one can do it for you. Well, how? How do you discipline yourself for godliness? Well, there's, I wrote down five things. The first one is personal Bible study. Read your Bible. Don't merely read books about the Bible or commentaries about the Bible. Just open up your Bible and read it. Spend time with God. The second thing is daily prayer and worship. Do you pray? Pray and worship the Lord. Do it. Third, personal reading or audio books for those who don't like to read. Read good or listen to good Christian books. Things that will edify you. Things that will train you. Things that will discipline you for godliness. Are you doing that? Fourth, discipleship. Uh, we have so many things in our church, fellowship groups, Bible studies, community groups, small groups. There's, there's every group known to man at this church. Get involved in personal discipleship. And fifth and finally, I wrote down apps. Download the Grace of You app, the Ligonier app, other apps, and listen to sermons. Listen to preaching when you can. We have so much access to the word of God and so many tools, way more than Paul's day. There's no excuse for us not to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And again, this is something only you can do. I can't do it for you. Mark can't do it for you. John MacArthur can't do it for you. You must do this for yourself. You must do it for yourself. You must discipline yourself. And the athlete doesn't just separate themselves from bad things. The athlete separates themselves from good things that may hinder them to compete. So what things in your life that are good, that are not bad, that are hindering you in your Christian life? What do you need to pull away from your life? What do you need to adjust to your schedule? You must discipline yourself with good things that will help you become a better Christian. Discipline yourself for the right things. And, and Paul continues quickly, verse 25, he says this, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. They do it to, to win a perishable wreath. In these games, the prize was a garland wreath. It represented fame and acclaim and the life of a conquering hero. Lifetime exemptions from taxes and military service. They represented tuition-free educations. They had their uh, image carved into statues. This is what they did. They trained and were disciplined for, for this. It was perishable. But Paul says this, but we are what? Imperishable. 
imperishable. If an athlete will punish himself so painfully and so gruesome for so long just to win a perishable crown, how much more ought we to push ourselves for an imperishable crown? How much more? This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If we train to win a lesser reward, how much more we ought to train to win a far greater award? How much more should we train than this disciplined athlete? Uh, Back at my parents' house in Georgia, they have, my parents have an attic full somewhere of all my trophies when I was growing up. There's letter jackets, there's trophies, there's plaques, there's all these things, ribbons. I haven't seen that stuff in 10 years. I'm sure that stuff is tarnished. I'm sure that box of stuff has started to fade. All the stuff is just dwindling away. I'm sure some of you have something very similar from your time growing up in any competition if we devoted sweat and probably blood and tears to win such perishable crowns, how much more should we devote ourselves to spiritual disciplines that lead to winning God's imperishable crown? It's a rebuke to half-hearted Christians, the Christians that just settle the Christians that just get by. Paul says in the book of Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. We belong to heaven. We are resident aliens. We are in the world, but not of the world. This world is not our home. We worship heaven's king. We obey heaven's law. We serve heaven's agenda. We proclaim heaven's message. We seek heaven's rewards. This is what we are and what we do. We live and we serve heaven, our king. That's who we are and what we do. Here's a question. Are you disciplining yourself for that, Christian? Are you disciplining yourself for your savior, for your master, for your Lord? The one who you pledged your life to for saving you from your sins. Are you disciplining yourself? Does that characterize your life? (laughs) You must be disciplined to win the race of your life. You must be disciplined to win God's race. So what does it take to win the race of your life? Well, we've seen dedication, discipline, third, if you're taking notes, direction, direction. It takes more than dedication and discipline. We, we must also have direction, or another word would be focus. We've got to have focus. A champion athlete is very focused on the goal at hand. He's very focused on what he's trying to accomplish. He keeps his eyes glued to the track. He keeps his eyes glued to the finish line so that he can stay on the track. He's not wavering and wavering all over the place because he's looking in the stands or looking at the crowd or looking over his shoulder. 
Rather, he sets his sight on the prize before him. He is so focused. Nothing can change his mind. Nothing can cause him to look left or right. He is focused on the dry, on the plan, on the finish line, on the race. He's not distracted. And what Paul says is this in verse 26. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. It's not without aim. He shifts to the first person now as he talks about his own Christian life. In other words, what he's saying here is, I run with clear direction. I run with well-defined goals. I take dead aim on the will of God. I'm not riding off in every direction. I'm staying on the track. I am focused. And he continues, verse 26, I box in such a way as not beating the air. He's changing the metaphors from running to boxing, but it makes the same point. What he's saying is this, I only have so much energy. I only have so much strength. I only have so much stamina, and I've got to make every punch connect. I got to make every punch count. And just as a runner who expects to win must have the goal clearly in focus and know where the track is that leads to victory, so a boxer who expects to win, he must connect with his punches. He must make every swing, every punch count. He can't be throwing any wild punches. If he is, if he's just wildly throwing punches that will never land on his opponent's jaw, then he will soon tire out. He will soon be defeated, and he will only defeat himself. He's saying, I have to make every punch connect. I only have so much time, so much energy, so much stamina. I can't. I don't have time to waste away every punch. Every punch matters. And here's the point of his two metaphors. Take dead aim. Take dead aim. Take dead aim. Don't get into a race and not know where the finish line is. Don't get into the ring and start throwing wild punches that never connect. Take dead aim. Uh, A couple months ago, a pastor here was catching up with me, and, and he was asking me, he's like, what are your hobbies? What do you do when you're not with family and ministry and uh, and all my responsibilities. I said, well, I watch Braves baseball. I, I just kind of get into it, you know? And he's like, well, Caleb, you need a new hobby. And I said, well, what do you think I should do? And he's like, play golf. He's like, I'm 83. I'm still playing golf. And so I started reading. I never played golf in my life. And so I started reading all these books, watching all these documentaries and YouTube, and I'm, I'm into it. Like I I'm really, I'm not real good, but it's fun. It's humbling. But one book I came across was this. He's the one who told me to read it. Harvey Pinnock's Little Red Book. Little Red Book. And this is what Harvey Pinnock writes. And I think it summarizes this point so well. He said, when my student, Betsy, was in a playoff for the championship, I sent her a one-sentence telegram. It said, take dead aim. And Betsy won the playoff. For golfers who might not understand Texas talk, let me put the advice in the telegram a different way. Once you address the golf ball, hitting it has got to be the most important thing in your life at the moment. Shut out all other thoughts than picking out a target and taking dead aim at it. Instead of worrying about making a fool of yourself in front of a crowd of four or 40,000, forget about how your swing may look 
and concentrate instead on where you want the ball to go. I would approach my college players before a match and tell them the exact same thing. Take dead aim at a spot on the fairway or the green and refuse to allow any negative thoughts to enter your head and just swing away. I can't say it too many times. It's the most important advice in this little book. Take dead aim. Make it a point to do it every time on every shot. Don't just do it from time to time when you happen to remember, always take dead aim, end quote. And what's taught in that little red book, it's also taught in this little black book. You and I need to have clear vision, need to have clear direction and take dead aim on the goal the goal of Christ-likeness, the goal of sanctification, the goal of personal godliness. That's our dead aim. That's our target, becoming more and more like our Savior. That's what we take dead aim at, to be more and more like Jesus. Do you have the clear direction for your life? Or are you just going side to side on the track, distracted by people in the stands? Or are you in the boxing ring and you're just throwing wild punches, giving up your stamina, wasting your energy, wasting your time? Do you have a target? Do you have dead aim on personal godliness? Are you running with a defined purpose? If you aim at nothing, you will hit everything. You need direction. You need focus. You must run the race with great effort. You must run the race with focused diligence. You must run the race with unwavering perseverance. Uh, you must be like a hunter that, is, that does not relent until he has captured his prey. You must be like an army that, that marches on until the enemy is defeated. You must be like an athlete that, that strains for the finish line. And in order for this to happen, then you need to have a direction. You need to have a focus. You need to take dead aim on what you're running at and what you're pursuing in the Christian life. You need to be focused. You need to have direction if you want to win the race of your life. So what does it take to win the race of your life? We saw the dedication, discipline, the direction, the fourth and final, denial. Denial. A championship athlete must know how to say no. He must know how to say no. He must know how to say no to certain things. He must deny himself many pleasures. Look at verse 27. Paul says this, but I discipline. He still continues this boxing metaphor. And that word discipline is buffet. It's it's from the word of boxing. It means to land a knockout punch under someone's eye. It's to give someone literally a black eye. And the background is this. The Greeks, they wore no gloves during this time, during boxing. They wore no gloves, but they, they wrapped their hands with leather strips and they just slugged it out, slugged it out. And if the match went too long, they would, 
attach rigid leather pieces of metal, and then they would just attach it to the fighter's fist, and they had these, all these metal objects all around their fist, and then they would just slug it out. And the boxing match would just go until someone was severely injured or, or someone would die. I mean, it was serious. It was serious stuff. What Paul is saying is this. I get in the ring and I fight a deadly opponent, a very deadly opponent, an opponent who has KO'd me, who has knocked me out on many occasions. And this opponent, Paul says, is himself, is his own flesh. Look at verse 27. I discipline what? I discipline my body, my body, the flesh, his flesh. First John 2, 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, and the boastful pride of life. Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. I must beat down my flesh into subjection, into submission to my master, Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1, Paul says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God that's acceptable. And what Paul is saying is that he fought to bring every area of his life under control. He fought to bring every area of his life under submission to Jesus Christ. Does that characterize your life? Are you fighting and really working hard and slugging it out to kill sin in your life? Where do you stand at this moment in time? Paul continues, verse 27, so that, after I do this, so that after I preach to others, this is an interesting picture here, as a herald would announce before each race the rules of the games, the starting lineups and things of that nature, but Paul sees himself as a herald or, or as a preacher proclaiming God's rules to, to all other participants in the race. But then after announcing the rules, Paul the herald became Paul the runner, and he ran the race of faith as well. He himself must keep the very rules that he announced to others. He, so that after I preach to others, he continues, I myself will not be disqualified. I myself will not be stripped of one's prize. Here, disqualification, just to know, it's not losing one's salvation. Rather, it's losing one's spiritual influence. It's losing one's uh, spiritual influence on other people. It's not losing your, your salvation. It's just losing the influence, losing this eternal reward that you can win. And so why do you need to practice denial of certain things? Why? What's the purpose? So that you won't be benched. So that you won't be put on the sidelines. So that you could be useful for the other runners. So that you could be useful for God's kingdom. So that you won't be benched. And the question you may be asking is, can I get back in the race if I have been disqualified? And the answer is yes, as long as there is the grace of God, there is opportunity to get back in the race. Well, how long does that take? Well, that depends on each situation. Each situation is unique. But Spurgeon said this, when your repentance is as well known as your sin. Friend, you must deny certain things if you want to win God's race for your life. You must give up good things if you want to win the race of your life. 
These are stirring and profoundly challenging words, are they not? Especially when we consider how many people run aimlessly. Uh, Too many people drift from one week to the next, one week to the next, just getting by. They never live with gospel urgency. Uh, They never live with a focus on eternity. They never take dead aim on Jesus. Friend, every day of your life, the finishing line is drawing nearer. One day soon, you will die. Did you hear me? One day you will die and the race is over. And no one knows when that day may be except God. You will die. In light of that, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Are you even in God's race? Are you even in it? Some of you have never entered God's race. You don't need anything except conversion. You need to be saved from the wrath of God. Uh, you, You must give your life to Jesus. Jesus, the one who is co-eternal and co-equal with God, the creator, the sustainer, and infinite center of all things. Jesus, the one who was born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary. Jesus, the one who lived a sinless and impeccable life with no spot, no blemish, no fault. Jesus, the one who spoke as no man has ever spoken. He was full of grace. He's full of truth. He's full of wisdom. Jesus, the one who performed miracles over nature, sickness, demons, and even death. Jesus, the one who died on the cross as the perfect substitutionary atonement, who blood, whose blood washes away our sins. Jesus, the one who literally, physically, and gloriously arose from the dead and who has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Jesus, the one who ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, where he still sits right now, making intercession for us. Jesus, the one who's coming again soon to rapture the saints and to judge the worlds and consummate his kingdom reign. Oh, friend, if you are not in God's race, you need to be converted to Jesus. You must turn away from your life of sin and turn to Jesus Christ and receive him by faith in your life at this moment. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And this morning I had an opportunity to to speak in our Grace Academy Chapel to the elementary school students. We talked about how God is so patient. He's so long-suffering, giving us another chance to repent. He's given us so many opportunities to repent, to come to his son. But oh, friend, He is patient, but one day that patience will be exhausted and you will meet a holy God. And that God who gave you many opportunities to repent and to give your life to his son, that God will judge you and send you to hell for eternity. Oh, if you don't know Jesus, you need to come to him right now because he's the only way you can get in God's race. He's the only way you can get into heaven. You need Jesus. And to the Christians in the room, brothers and sisters, Christ, 
One day you will stand before the beamer. Just as these athletes stand before the beamer. And Christ will be your judge. He will judge you. He will judge each and every one of us. Are you dedicated? Are you disciplined? Do you have a clear direction? Are you denying things for the sake of the race so that you would not be disqualified? One of my favorite quotes, C.T. Studd, only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. How are you doing, Christian, at this moment? Have you veered off? Are you looking in the stands? Are you wasting punches? Get back on the track. Get back on the track. Now, I want to leave you with this. Whatever stage you may be at right now, whatever it is, never give in. Never give up. Never, never, never. Get back on that track. Get back in the ring and you keep going. Be dedicated. Be disciplined. Be focused. Be in denial for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And that's how you will win the race of your life. God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for Paul's life. Lord, as we learned past three weeks, he gave his life to Christ. He was sold out for the gospel. God, help us run the race so that we will win. I pray we will not settle for second best. Uh, I pray we will not just give by. I pray, Lord, we will give it our everything because you saved us and we do not deserve it. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that we can still get back on the track if we're disqualified. God, I pray right now for the people in the room who are just playing church the ones that do not know Christ, I pray you prick their hearts. They have no idea the wrath stored up for them. Open their eyes up to the gospel, to the beauty of your son. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone. We love him. We don't deserve him. But we are so grateful that you sent him to live and die for us. And it's his name we pray and all God's people said, amen.